Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this edition of On the Mark with yours truly, Mark Carmen, two of my favorites, Will Purdue. That's right, NBA season is here. Derrick Rose was in town. The Bulls are two and five. Will Purdue on the program. And we lead it off with Martellus Bennett, the former Chicago Bear, Green Bay Packard, won a Super Bowl with the New England Patriots, Dallas Cowboy, New York Giant. One of the most entertaining people that I have ever covered in the NFL. On the Mark with yours truly, Mark Carvin starts right now. We start out the conversation with Martellus Bennett, who's made a transition from the field to now doing a whole lot off the field. And Marty was a guy who always had interests off the field and kind of had himself looking ahead, which I think applies to all of us who might make a transition at some point in their life. And Marty was well aware that things were going to end at some point for him on the field, and he was planning for it, which he recommends for anyone who might have a change in their life coming down the pipe. Well, exactly. That's exactly it. I think the one thing I try to get people to realize is that as an athlete, your career is always almost over. It's almost always over. Like it's always like it's almost over. It's almost over. Like it's, at any time it could be over. So therefore, you have to be prepared, right? And a lot of these guys they prepare for games way better than they prepare for life. Like they don't prepare for the game of life the way they prepare to play on Sundays or Saturdays, whatever sport they're playing. So my whole thing is about hey, try to plant seeds now and start watering them. You don't have to just dump a whole bucket of water on them because that's not how plants grow. Because then you drown the seed. But it's important to plant as many seeds as possible so that you can grow it in many different ways as, as um, that's feasible for you as an individual. So I think most guys don't spend, spend time planting seeds. They still focus on the one seed that is growing so tall that, like any plant, when one plant outgrows another seed, it blocks the sunlight so these other plants can't actually grow. And I learned that when guys leave the sport, there's a form of PTSD and there's an identity crisis. They don't know who they are. They don't know what they like. They don't know what they want to do. They don't know what they're interested in. They don't know any of these things, but they have time now to discover those things. So instead of spending all your off-season just working out, playing video games, pick up an internship, pick up a book. Like, 
you give a guy a book and they act like you just did an exorcism on them. You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of like, nah, dude, you should be reading. So if you think about, like, college, most of these guys have been pushed along and been celebrated for being an athlete, so you want to continue to do what you've been celebrated for. But, like, we're not – they're athletes first, students second for a lot of them, right? So – um, they didn't really take school serious when they were playing, so how can they take self-education and further, further bettering themselves um, in whatever field it may be that's outside of their sport when they never done it in, in, in their previous life? So um, I'd let them know that their life is just beginning. We, the few people, where we maximize, a lot of us maximize the potential of wealth in our early 20s, right? You retire 26, 27, 30, guys are retired even earlier now. But that's the average career is three and a half years. The average lifespan is 77 years. You just touched on something, Marty, that's very interesting. And there's a ton of talk this week about changing how athletes in college will get paid. They'll be able to benefit off their likeness. But there's not a lot of talk about how colleges push through young, talented athletes so they will get the maximum performance on the field and not care at all about what they do in the classroom. I mean, when you went to Texas A&M, were you pushed at all to actually get an education, or was it all about what you did on the field? No athletes push to get their education. <laughs> That's a lie. All they do is try to push the athletes to courses that allows them to pass classes so they can maximize their potential on the court. They're not trying to maximize the student. They're trying to maximize their time with the athlete. Um, they, they, they recommend courses that don't take you from your – like, there's not too many people who could use that free scholarship to become a doctor because being a doctor requires them to be in class so much that the football obligations won't allow them to do so. So when you think about this education, it's not really, it's not every single avenue is not really open for every single player, right? So, um, Don't you think that's criminal or at least wrong? I think, I mean, we want to talk about ethics, but I really think that comes down to the human being. But then, you know, as a player, but most of these guys are young. They're shaping men or these women, young women, they're shaping that have not fully developed and don't, all they really know is that their dream is to play this sport. But they don't really realize that only 1% of college athletes make it to the pros. You have a more, you have a higher possibility of becoming a doctor than you do becoming an NFL player. But nobody wants to tell them that because they feel like dream killers. And when does killing dreams become being like, I don't know, you know, I'm a dreamer, so. Martellus, I covered you in Chicago, and you had some great years with the Bears, and you won a Super Bowl with the New England Patriots, and you cut a ton of balls, the Cowboys, the Giants, etc. And you were a productive player, no question. But whenever I was around you, just from my judgment, I never thought you really loved the game, playing football. Is that fair? No, that's not, I, I, I love playing football. I like the game, like actually playing, but I didn't really like everything that came along with football. Like, I didn't really care for a bunch of stuff that came along with the game that had nothing to do with playing football. And that's the stuff I hated. Like, playing the game is fun. Still forming people, jumping over people, scoring touchdowns, flipping in the end zone, dancing with your teammates. All that stuff is fun. And beating yourself up is not fun, but... Um, the game was fun to play, but once it was no longer fun because of everything else that came with the game, that's when I decided to leave it. What, um, what do you, I, I, never view, I never view myself as a, a football player. When you say everything else, are we talking about practice? Are we talking about media? Where are we at? I mean, I didn't mind practice, the part where we actually practice against one another, but yeah, I'm just talking about like coaches and yeah. them trying to act like they're your dad and all that stuff. You know, it's just kind of like I'm a grown man. 
Or I got kids at home, you know, like, uh, you, know. <laughs> 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 you know, like, uh, what's going on here, coach? Really? You know what I'm saying? So, um, but I never, for me, football would never be able to fulfill me like it does some people, right? It was never going to be the most fulfilling thing that I did in my life. And I always understood that. But I wanted to enjoy the moment while I had it. Which coach was trying to be most authoritative dad-like? Was that Belichick? I don't think that Belichick tried to be anybody, Daddy. I think he's the one that avoided, avoided, <laughs> avoided all of that. I mean, I don't really know. I mean, was so, I mean, I played for so many teams, so many coaches. There's a lot of them. So, um, but at this point, it don't really matter. Cause who cares? Where was your favorite stop? Then, where did you enjoy yourself the most? I, I enjoyed a lot of places for different reasons. I, I enjoyed the structure and uh, the Patriots winning Super Bowl. One of my favorite teams to ever play for, though, was the Giants. They had the best. I mean, it was just a really good organization, like a great place to play as a player. Um, Chicago was fun. Like, I had my best career years in in Chicago, so that was fun. Uh, so all of them, as I look back at it, when I was in it, a lot of times I just, you know, you can hate somewhere, but when you look back at it, you're like, man, you know, there was some really good times there. Well, speaking of Chicago, if you saw Jay Cutler across the street, are you crossing over to shake his hand, or are you going to put your head down and keep walking? No, nah, hell no. Nah. I call Jay. I like Jay. Jay's funny. I mean, I think Jay's, I, I would definitely go talk to Jay. He's my partner, and he's one of the professors. He's one of the other professors. <laughs> is that right? His business, yeah. Jay Cutler is one of the other professors. Okay. I, I, I We're did. both teaching now. Imagine that. You yeah. get a class from Martellus Bennett or Jay Cutler. Yeah, no, I'm picking Martellus all day on that. Not to... <laughs> not, not, and, and that's really intelligent, though. He's a really intelligent guy. Well, maybe I'm a, I'm a little biased, but I'm going 83 over 6, especially if I'm going to class. But uh, neither here nor there, not trying to dog Jay. Hey, Martellus, could you play physically right now? I mean, you're 32. There's a lot of guys in the NFL who are your age that are, you know, still doing it. Yeah, I'm, I'm in great shape. I'm so good. You know, I, my, I'll be doing a CEO workout, so... Uh which is just wake up like at 4.30 in the morning, get on a vertical climber for like 30 minutes, do some push-ups and sit-ups and call it a day. Put some laps with my jewelry on, you know, that kind of thing. But if somebody called you up, would, would you be interested? No. People call. I'm just not interested in playing football. Interesting. I just don't see what the reward would be for me to do that. Just my life right now is so much re- more rewarding than football could ever be. And I kind of feel like I've been missed what I thought was a rewarding life really wasn't and the work I do creatively now is the most rewarding and fulfilling thing I could possibly ever do and it makes me so happy well it sounds like you did it right 32 years old you had some fun you made some money got a couple dollars in the pocket and you found exactly what you want to do right now with your life that's a win all around as far as I can tell I am I I played the game correctly (laughs) (laughs) tell us what the new book is again my next book is called um little brown girl dream catcher um, my previous book is called Dear Black Boy, which is doing well. You can get that on Amazon or ImaginationAgency.com right now. Um, check that out. Make sure you support. And um, that's the next. That's the, my next book that's coming out. And then my Revenge of the Jocks book for transitioning athletes. It's the escape plan for athletes. What's in the Brown Girl book? What are you trying to get accomplished? Uh, the idea that they can catch any dream that they have is possible. Like anything that they dream and who they are. Who they are is as wonderful and who they want to be become as possible. Who's winning the Super Bowl this year? I mean, honestly, I don't think any team's that great. Yeah, I mean, they're all kind of like, you, if you watch the games, I think it's, I think it's still up in the air. Um, I think there's gonna be, I think it's going to be a surprise team, actually, honestly.
You want to throw one out there? I mean, I don't know. I just feel like this will be one of those things. Like, I did not see this coming. It's going to be one of those movies, like a movie with a great twist. I think it's going to be like that this season. Okay. So you got the you got the Patriots, who are always a favorite. I mean, they're eight and zero, but have they had true competition? You got your Forty Niners, you know, right now who are doing very well. Uh, Kansas City took a hit losing the quarterback. Uh, Seattle is really good, you know, but who's going to come out of that? Seattle and Forty ers That's going to be really cool. Um, I mean, I just feel the Vikings. Like, there's like teams that like the, the Packers. You know, the NFC. NFC, well, the NFC is usually the stronger division. But, yeah, uh, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity there. How in the world did you guys come back from 28-3 down in the Super Bowl to beat Atlanta? Uh, honestly, I think the most important thing is we didn't really – we felt – we just did our job. I know it sounds crazy, but our whole point of view is like, Hey, don't worry about it. Don't look at anybody else or what anyone else is doing. If you could do your job for the rest of this game, the best of your ability, we could come out victorious. And that's what we did. Like, half the time, I did. if I wasn't running a route, I didn't even know who caught the ball. I was just like, what happened? What happened? Because I was so focused on doing my job. When most games you play, you kind of looking down the field, seeing what's happening. But I was so focused on my task at hand that I didn't even know half of the plays that happened. Because all I remember, like, oh, I was blocked on this play. And I ran my route as hard as I could. You know, and that was pretty much it. Like, I just remember me. You know, I don't remember everything else that everyone else was doing during the game. I could just remember exactly what was happening to me. That's how locked up, uh, locked in I was. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Who who was? I think everybody was like that. Who was leading the way more that day? Is that a, is that a Brady thing? Is that a Belichick thing? How did that happen? Um, the the most interesting thing is like when we got to the locker room. No one said anything. Uh, there was no rah-rah speeches. Belichick didn't say anything. The only thing I remember was that Julian Edelman, before we went back out after the uh, after halftime, Julian Edelman was like, well, boys, we got 30 minutes to make history. And we went out and made history. It's incredible. Martel's great work today. Dosecki, the professor, all of it. Great to talk to you. Uh, and look forward to catching up down the line and, and seeing everything you're doing, what you're putting out into the world. You're... you're you're doing great work, man. It's always good to catch up. Thank you, man. My new album's coming out soon, too. It's called Martellus, The Corporate Experience. I mean... The Corporate Experience is my band. I, I, I just want to, you know, I don't know, go on like a, a five-day, just let me hang out in the same area as you. Just watch everything you do. <laughs> you got so you much... Should. You should come by one day. Where are you living now? I'm in Hollywood. Of course you are. Why wouldn't you be? I mean, I moved to Hollywood, but I didn't go Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have to go Hollywood. You've always been Hollywood in some way. Let's be honest. Oh, man, great, man. Great talking to you. Up next, Will Purdue and Derrick Rose was recently in town. I love Derrick Rose. Want the Bulls to bring Derrick Rose back. All of it. But there is this thing of the Bulls are in a rebuild and perhaps it's not the right time to bring Derrick Rose back here, although myself and a lot of people thought it was. So we start out the conversation with Will asking, did the Bulls make a mistake not bringing in Derrick Rose? And do the Bulls also have to make a change with the starting point guard? Because Thomas Sadoransky is off to a very, very slow start. Uh, I don't think so. Um, and this is, I'll give you my explanation, and it might take a second. That's fine. But 
I know last year when we were having this discussion, as the season was coming to an end, you know, we all know Kendall Gill is uh, head of the Derrick Rose fan club. And Derek, I mean, and Kendall was pushing hard, especially uh, during the draft coverage, the whole thing that, you know, a good veteran player that they should bring in, especially after they drafted Kobe White. Yep. And were supposedly looking to trade, uh, you know, other players. Chris Dunn. Would be Derek Rose. Chris Dunn being the main guy. Now, we didn't know if they were going to be able to trade Chris Dunn or not. But with that being the plan at hand, I, I I was against it for one reason, not because of Derrick Rose's ability, but because of his past. And when I say past, I mean the one thing I've experienced from the Chicago fan base is, is they still measure Derrick Rose by the MVP Derrick Rose. And sometimes we have a tendency to do that to any player. It's not any different to – probably the Cleveland Cavaliers fans that when they think about LeBron, even today, they think about LeBron, the guy that brought him the championship, LeBron, the guy that kind of changed the way the games played a little bit. Cause a lot of people watched, what did LeBron do uh, last night? 30, 15 and six, something like that. More that unbelievable game. There was a triple double. He's like, yeah, it was like, I, I'd have to pull it up, but it's like 38, 16 and 11. It was preposterous. Right. But he can't necessarily do that every single night anymore. Right. So I found it difficult because of how things ended with Derek here in Chicago and the expectations that the fans would have if Derek came here. I mean, there's the fans here are still very passionate about Derek Rose. I, I, I'm stunned by that. I mean, it's it's been a while since he played here, and it's been a while since he's been the MVP, Derek Rose. But – after further consideration and after getting a chance to talk to Derek once or twice this summer, but also talking to him last night, mentally he's in a better place than quite honestly I've ever seen him, even maybe more so than when he actually played and was the MVP. And that, that in my opinion, changed how I thought about it because of the fact he's just playing. He's accepted what his limitations are. And we, we saw how little he, I mean, excuse me, how well he played last night. And even if you go back and look at the plus minus, before the game was even over, the Detroit Pistons were plus 11 with Derek on the floor and like minus 17 when he wasn't on the floor. And you think about that and you think about what could Derek Rose do for the Bulls? What could Derek Rose add to that second unit as a scoring combination? I'm not saying that Kobe White can't score. Don't get me wrong. But it's just... Derrick Rose is back to being dynamic again, but he also does a really good job of picking and choosing his spots, knowing, you know, basically he's now a veteran experienced point guard. And I think he could really help this team. And I understand there's a lot of baggage and maybe the Bulls didn't want to deal with it, but you know, you always think about what ifs and I think that would be a good combination, but it took me a while to really get to that point where I believe that. Well, and I, I, you know, I went to their shoot around yesterday, and I, I tweeted out a video, which normally my videos don't get forty-one thousand views, and that's where this one's at right now. And you know, the, the, to your point about the fans being incredibly passionate, I got probably seventy-five percent of the people begging Derrick Rose to come back here. I mean, the tweet was 
row is open to be a bull. And then there's, you know, 25% who, you know, are saying, God, no. But I thought one interesting comment that he made, Will, was that if I had listened to what the fans wanted me to do back then, there's no way I would have made it to year 12. I would have wrecked my body. And if you go back in time, what he was actually saying, like he would say, like, you know, I want to be able to play with my kids. But what he really meant, the way I'm reading it, is that he wanted to extend his career as long as possible. Like this playing with your kids made no sense. But getting to play basketball as long as you possibly can, the number one thing you love in life, that makes a whole lot of sense to me. So I don't know if he had that in mind at the time, but it almost seems like he did. You know what I mean? Yep. And quite honestly, didn't Kawhi Leonard just make that same exact statement? Yep. Two days ago, and I I saw nothing on Twitter about oh how dare you. All I saw was good good idea on his part, good call. <laughs> right, we have changed here. There's a little bit more pro player. It's their career. It's ama- it was amazing to me at the time. People were walking You're right. Pe- people were walking you know around. Like, go ahead. Yeah. It Derek Rose developed. Uh, what's the proper term now that they use as far as when a player doesn't play and even though he's healthy? Uh, rest, rest ma- load management, I believe we're looking load for. Load management. Derek Rose, even though we, he doesn't get credit for it, may actually, actually invented load management, but it was disguised as I want to be able to play with my kids when I'm older. Right. Right. And it made no sense. That's not what he means. He just wants to hoop as long as possible. It should have been clear, but you have to like read between the Rose lines. Uh, anyway, right here, I don't want to make it spend it all on Rose, although I could. I, I, I hope he gets back here by the end of his career at some point. It'd be a nice reunion way to top it off. But what are you seeing from this Bulls team right now, Will? I mean, they're two and four. They got a much needed win last night. Kobe White's been a good story. Uh, I'm a little underwhelmed by Sadoransky. A lot of people were high on him. Uh, and maybe he's just laying in the weeds right now. But do you think they have a maybe a, perhaps a switch at the point guard position in the in the uh, near future? No, I don't think so. And I'm glad you want to bring that up. I personally believe that I haven't asked this question because you know, unfortunately, we don't have the opportunity to be there for post game press conferences. Uh, a lot of times, we're not there when he talks to the media at five fifteen for one reason or another. But I personally believe that they're not saying it, but because of the load that Sadoransky had in the offseason, he played 16 games in 31 days in the, in the FIBA championships, I think that quietly they're resting him. Because when you go and you look at how many minutes he's playing, you know, what, 22 to 26 minutes, and at times when he does sit, he sits for long periods of time. But I honestly believe that the offense runs better. I'm not saying it scores better. I'm saying the offense runs better when he's on the floor because he's so uh, selfless, unselfish. I mean, he truly is a point guard. I mean, you have to almost encourage him to look to score or to take the open three. But he's so bound and determined to try to set up Zach, set up Lowry, set up the other four players on the floor that, you know, he is, if he has a fault, it's because he's not aggressive enough and looking to score. But I truly believe, even though Boylan hasn't said it, that he actually is resting him quietly and just kind of really monitoring his minutes because of the load he had uh, over the summer. Interesting. All right, let's do one on Laurie Markin and Casey Johnson was all over it last night at the postgame. 
quizzing Boylan about, well, was he hurt? Was he not hurt? You're going with Thaddeus Young. This means you're benching, in some respects, the hopeful franchise player, uh, you know, in the fourth quarter for the second straight game. What's your take on what's going on with Laurie and, and, and Jim Boylan and his play, period? Well, the unwritten rule for players of his caliber is, is the third year is the big year. You heard John Paxson say right after we have aspirations of possibly making the playoffs, in order for us to do that, it's on two guys more than anybody. Zach Levine really has to take the next step. Lowry Marketing really has to take the next step. But we haven't seen it. I don't think that Lowry's taken a step backwards, but I think he's pretty much the same player that he's been the last two years, meaning he's very inconsistent. He shows us greatness by dropping 35 like he did against Charlotte, but then he doesn't follow that up with another 35-point game or follow a 35-point game with 26 points. I still feel like that he's in a development stage, which is a little disappointing, this being his third year. But if you go back to his first year and his second year, you saw inconsistency, but you also saw that usually after about you know, 45, 50 games, he kind of hit that wall. So I think he's still trying to figure out mentally you know, where he is physically in the sense that we all talk about, hey, man, when he's struggling – give him the ball in the post and not necessarily with his back to the post, but that's not part of his game. You know, he is a guy that has become more perimeter oriented, shoots twenty threes in my opinion, and needs to develop that mid range game when he doesn't have things going. Because the one thing I didn't hear anybody complain about was that Charlotte game. His first 26 points were inside the arc, but nobody was like, oh, that's a bad shot. That's a bad shot. No, that's a bad shot as they were going in. So I understand the whole analytics aspect, but sometimes you just have to play to a player's strength. And I think right now, even though Lowry can shoot the three, can stretch out defenses, he has the advantage when he plays against a bigger player that he can put the ball on the deck and get to the paint and then get to the free throw line. Where he's struggling, right in my opinion, right now is when he has playing against a smaller player that's quicker than him. He doesn't necessarily have the confidence to go down in the paint and call for the ball. He still needs to work on a lot of aspects of his game, but most notably, he needs to work on consistency from one night to the next. And that's probably what's been the most frustrating aspect. With Lowry, I don't know if he's too nice. I don't know exactly what it is, but there's something when I listen to him talk, and maybe I'm focusing too much on that there there I, I don't know if the drive to be the best that he possibly can be sometimes I feel like that's missing and to what you're talking about he's more of a complimentary player right now you he needs to be set up versus I'm going to throw the ball to him that dude's going to demand a double team he's going to hit other guys and or he's going to score if they play him one-on-one he's just not there which makes me think at best this dude is a fringe all-star and somebody that you can't really build a team around. Is that fair? Well, I think it's twofold. I think he does need to become more aggressive. I think he does need to play, um, I, I don't. I guess, more pissed off, should we say? <laughs> That's what I see. At times. But I don't think it's all on him, quite honestly, because 
and this is something that Kendall and I debate all the time, but we both agree with what I'm about to say. It's an equal opportunity offense. And I'm not necessarily a big fan of equal opportunity offenses because I think that there should be a pecking order as far as who's your go-to guy, who's your second go-to guy, and not just, hey, if you're open, shoot it. Regardless if it's Zach Levine or Chris Dunn or Kobe White or Thaddeus Young, I, I think there needs to be you know, a pecking order. Kendall agrees with the same thing because I think as you just talked about, um, I think that Lowry does have the dog in him, but at the same time, he always talks about, I'm trying to be a team player. I'm trying to do whatever they're asking me to do. When I think sometimes I would love to see a timeout, Boylan get in Lowry's face and basically run 12 straight plays for him and get him going, but also do the same thing for Zach Levine. And then in my opinion, for the rest of the guys, you find your shots at other times within the offense, but we have the opportunity to be a good team, but it rides with these two guys and it starts with these two guys. And we have to find ways to get these guys going every night. And when I see these two guys, it could be Zach one night. It could be Lowry the next, but what we're seeing is it's Zach and game it's Lowry in game one, Zach in game two, then nothing. And then Zach in game four. And we're still rating, you know, game five, we're hopefully Lowry in game six, there needs to be more consistency across the board. And I know Thaddeus Young has been knocking down some threes, and it was two for four last night. But in that equal opportunity offense, I feel like he's out of the perimeter too much. My final thoughts once again are about the football team, the Chicago Bears, and the finality of being three and five. Wow. Painful Super Bowl expectations. And the math says you're still alive for the record, but pretty much your season is over after playing eight games. Wow. That is incredibly disappointing. Dan Hampton, Glenn Kozlowski, Ed Obradovich. The guys I do the post-game show with on 720 WGN after the games, they made the paper as the Tribune was listening. Phil Rosenthal writing it up as Edo Bradovich was going nuts after the game. And you cannot, for the record, fake that passion. OB, all in, all the time, loves the football team. And there was a tremendous piece, by the way, on OB in The Athletic, if you want to check it out. That was uh, a great job by Dan Pompey. But I bring up the Bears just to say this. Sometimes things do not go your way in life, and you got to make an adjustment. And we talked about it last week that you got to move on from Mitchell Trubisky. The Bears are going to have a tough call in the offseason, and you just got to move forward. But something did happen this week that surprised me. Trubisky, in his postgame, talking about I didn't really have any clear lanes to throw through. They brought a lot of pressure. And when I did have time, so clearly you have a quarterback who's getting a little irritated that all the fingers are being pointed at him. And there's been a couple comments from Matt Nagy as well that where he agrees with the reporters who are basically insinuating that Trubisky doesn't know what he's doing or isn't very good. 
And Nagy will say, you know, that's a good question. That's a good point. So what I'm saying is I am seeing, if you really read between the the lines here, a coach and a QB who are no longer together. Still trying to say the right things, but the reality is they realize that a divorce is coming, and I think that divorce is coming at the end of the year. I don't think, despite the fact that when you draft a guy number two overall, he's in all likelihood going to play with you for four years. Somehow, some way, prediction, mark it down. You heard it on On the Mark. Mitchell Trubisky, at best, will be back as a backup in year four. But I would think the Bears will actually move on from Mitch in the offseason, some level of trade. Maybe they'll get a fifth-round pick, whatever it'll be. It'll be painful, but they'll be moving forward, and that's what you got to do when you're trying to win a Super Bowl and you still have a Super Bowl champion or close to it defense. Thank you to Will Purdue. Thank you to Martellus Bennett. Thank you for listening. On the Mark coming out every Monday afternoon. We will see you next week. Subscribe, rate, tell a friend. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.